Hi everyone, welcome to Hashtag Never Alone, episode 3. Today's topic is going to be depression. I'm your host, Joe, and we have Mark Fielding here with us for another episode. Hi, Mark. Hi, Hi Joe. Hi, Tom. Um, today we have Tom Adam, who will be telling us his mental health journey, his lived experience with depression. Now, depression is a mental health disorder characterized by persistently depressed mood or loss of interest in activities, causing significant impairment in daily life. Um, I'm just going to ask Mark a few questions about um, depression. So what can you tell us about um, depression, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. I mean, depression comes in in many forms. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing um, called reaction depression this is a type of depression that comes in for people and you know and it's a reaction to things that are maybe going on in the external world so stress or or loss or you know many other kind of human experiences that can create you know create a kind of feeling of you know wanting to withdraw and you know and being very depressed and there's also um a type of depression called clinical depression um, clinical depression, you know, often comes for people in cycles. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it can be tied to events in the outside world, yeah, outside world. Events, things going on, but it can just come in almost for, you know, for no reason. Um, and, you know, and both, I think, are really, really difficult for people. For people. You know, I think depression generally entails wanting to withdraw from everything, not wanting to see friends, not wanting to go to work, not wanting to you know, do all of the things that, you know, perhaps the person needs to do when they're depressed. Um, talking therapies can be really, really good for depression. You know, and also antidepressant, antidepressants, I think, can be really, really helpful. A wide spectrum, um, really. So uh, what makes depression different to general sadness? I think it's, I mean, the depression is, is on a bit of a spectrum, really. Um, I mean, there can be kind of, you know, minor depression, there can be moderate depression, there can be, be really serious kind of clinical depression. Um, so it is just basically a, a different place on the spectrum. I mean, I guess low mood would be at one side and then, you know, clinical depression would be, you know, would be at the other. And I think really, I think the further down the spectrum towards clinical depression one gets, I think the more difficult it is to kind of live one's life as one did before. So I think that really is the kind of signifier. Okay. Um, so does depression always lead to suicide or uh, can it, is it always the reason for suicide? Um, oh, that's another really kind of wide-ranging question. But, I mean, it can be. Yeah, I mean, people can become, you know, very, very depressed. And, you know, once they're kind of at that point, then suicidal ideation can come up in their mind, you know, often associated with thoughts like, you know, people around me would be better off without me. Um, there's no point going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this can happen a lot with depression, but by no means always. I mean, people can be you know, can be suffering from depression for years and not have suicidal ideation. You know, it's it, it's very, de very much depends on the individual, I think, and the individual's experiences. And also, I think that, you know, the psychogenesis, the reason for the depression perhaps coming in in the first place. 
Okay. Um, we did actually on the video episode we had of depression, our specialist guest said that depression isn't usually the cause of suicide because you don't have the energy to actually pull through with it. It's when you go back to a high and then drop again. Um, and that tends to lead to people actually following through with committing suicide. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is perhaps sometimes the shadow side of antidepressants. Perhaps when someone is very, very clinically depressed, you know, as you say, there might be some suicidal ideation kind of in their minds, but they haven't got the, haven't got the energy to do it. Whereas sometimes on first taking antidepressants, uh, you know, the energy can be supplied whereby the person can can then maybe, you know, find the motivation to go off and you know and, and actually hurt themselves or suicide i mean and that's why i think it, it's closely monitored i think when people that are ex- extremely clinically depressed start taking antidepressants as there, there, there is and you know as there should be i think quite a lot of monitoring initially yeah um how can we tell are there like obvious signs that someone's depressed or is it quite hard to tell um from like an outside perspective maybe for someone like me or someone like Tom or a family member to tell if someone's depressed? I mean, again, I think it, you know, I think it really depends on the individual, you know, you know, some people will be depressed, you know, and they will, and they will show it, you know, they, they'll, they'll, there'll be no joy. They'll, they'll maybe not go to work. They'll maybe not want to get out of bed. You know, they'll be, they'll be obviously quite low, quite negative. You know, with depression, there's, there's always rumination. So people that are depressed will be, you know, kind of turning over negative thoughts again and again and again. It's kind of circular thinking, you know. So, yeah, so often it can be seen. But, you know, sometimes it's really hidden. You know, I mean, sometimes depending on the person's circumstances, you know, they'll, they'll hide it. You know, I mean, I think this is, I mean, it's not gender specific, right? But I, th- I do think men tend to do this. Men tend to just, you know, to just lean into it and just kind of get on. And, you know, because, you know, even now, I think you know, it's still not socially acceptable for, for men, yeah. to, you know, for men to be depressed. So it can be masked. Uh, and I'm guilty of it. I'm a bit more vocal about it now than I was before but back like when I was 18 or something like that and I broke up with my first girlfriend um I was self-harming and stuff and it's easier to talk about it now than it was back then or like in the last few years I I hit a lot of it and people brushed it aside as normal sadness and obviously they didn't know about me self-harming apart from my friends um and it literally just took me having a breakdown in front of the doctor for people to really notice it and I've had episodes here where I've been on the mental health clinic where I've hit a really low point um and I mean people like me I I'm a bit more vocal and a bit more upfront about how I'm feeling because I know that's the probably the best way to go about it to get the right support but um two years ago now when I ended up in clinic um, after feeling suicidal, after being really low and not being able to express my feelings. Um, I know it's not always easy. Um, I felt like the medication I was on was kind of causing a mental block mm. to express those feelings, to show that I was depressed and I was struggling more than I was admitting. And obviously having that breakdown showed everyone that, yeah, okay, maybe he's struggling. Maybe it wasn't 
his fault the way he's acting the way he is. Yeah. And that's not yeah. really how he is. So I guess you were for quite a long time just trying to mask it, you know, which is, I mean, it, it's so isolating. You know, this is why I think it's great that, you know, like people like Tom and, you know, and, and kind of people are kind of increasingly talking about mental health, you know, because it's so isolating, you know, when, when, when people feel they have to hide it and they have to lean in and just, you know, doing can be, you know, can be something that people do, you know, they'll increase their amount of doing and, you know, but obviously that can only be a coping strategy for so long. And then in the end, I think that, you know, the feelings that are kind of pushed down and inside just pour out. And I guess this is what what you're saying about your breakdown, Joe. It just all became... Yeah. Everything came out at once. And like, even my dad, who's never really understood mental health, just saw me at my worst and he really understood. It started to make him want to learn about what it was and why I felt the way I was and everything, kind of try and understand it so he could support me which was like a massive thing for me because I know a lot of men don't show that much interest in mental health, but my dad's like, I have to give him a huge amount of credit. He's been so good since I had that breakdown. Um, and I'm kind of in a way glad that I had that breakdown because it showed me, it, it expressed the way I was feeling without it, just one go because I couldn't previously show the way I was feeling. Yeah, so it kind of opened up, it opened you up to kind of receiving the care that you needed. So in, in a yeah. way, you no, know, it was a you know a terrible thing to you know to happen to you, you know as it happened. I guess the after effects have been really positive. It's kind of really invited care, and understanding. yeah, it's definitely definitely showing me places where I need to express myself and speak up, and that is okay to say stuff. And I, I've definitely been a lot more open with my friends about it. Um, I think that was a bit of a worry for me sometimes. I mean, there's certain people I know I can talk to about anything, but there's other people that I thought might judge me or look at me differently that I've opened up to them and now they understand a bit, knowing what I've gone through. And I guess that's enriched the relationships. Yeah, definitely. So, some friends, uh, I've lost a few friends from because I moved countries, obviously moved to Australia like two years ago, and then I went back to England after having my breakdown. Um, and just, there was people that just didn't make the effort, made it about them. And I just quite those people out of my life, really. It does show who your real friends are when you go through rough times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. You really see, you know, who, who, who kind of cares about you. You know, and I guess with the, you know, with, with the self-harm and suicidal ideation... You know, there's there's so much shame attached to it. You know, people self-harm and it's a coping strategy, you know, really, really common one, you know, to kind of really try and let some of the pain out that people are feeling, you know, but it, 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 it becomes associated with so much shame that it's really difficult for people to kind of open up and talk about it. You know, it's fantastic when people do, you know, I guess when when people open up and have conversations with their friends and family about mental health, you know, often other people that perhaps have not talked about their struggles with mental health will then open up their own struggles and it just creates a kind of you know a, it just creates a kind of you know a, a system where people are open talking about their mental health and also kind of inviting the support and the understanding that they need definitely um so i'm really speaking of opening up and um 
telling a story and telling people how you feel, we have a uh, guest with us, Tom Adam. Um, thank you for joining us, Tom. Uh, my pleasure. Um, yeah, so Tommy, would you just like to tell us a, a bit about your story and your experience living with having depression or having gone through depression? Um, yeah, so it's, um, I might get you to mute your microphone because I'm getting uh, feedback, sorry. Um, so in terms of mine, it goes, I suppose, as a colleague said to me the other day, I said to him when I was, uh, I was a, first met him when I was 13, and he, I said to him, I was always a happy kid. He said, oh, you were overly morose. Uh, and, uh, and I, I sort of I didn't take offense to that because I was sort of like, oh, maybe. Um, so for me, um, really, if I look back to the, the things that sort of, you know, the things that people say things happen to you and versus things happen and they, that you have an impact on, they have an impact on you. Um, my father passed away when I was 13 at Christmas time. And um, at that time I changed schools so he died on the 28th of December and I had changed from a co-ed school to an all-boys school in the January and, and the, the school didn't deal with it properly. And I had some anger issues and, and under, not understanding. And 13, you, you don't have the adult brain to be able to understand um, what really happens when somebody you know has cancer and dies over a period of time. And, um, and uh, you know, it's we talk about suicide and it, it, that was one of the things that, they always kept an eye on me and I, I, I got very upset because I was saying to them, I don't feel like I want to do that. And they were always talking to me about it and it was never a thought that popped into my head. Uh, and it wasn't until um, I was sort of I was speaking to the school reverend, I suppose I went to an old, old boys school that was quite religious and, and he sort of helped me unpack it and, and understand and, and try to find a common thing to make me happy again. And, and that for me for, was my martial arts and I'm a martial arts instructor now looking back and then, you know, through high school and then university. And I had some moments at, in university where, you know, I had rough periods, but I never, uh, and looking back, I realised that they were depressive episodes, but I never really at the time thought I was going through depression. I was, it was always a stressful moment in my life. So it was, you know, exam period or broke up with a girlfriend. And for me, it was always that sadness was always connected with an event. Um, and so you fast forward till 2018 and, and, I decided to take 12 months leave with off pay from my highly paid public service job and to, to make my business a full-time reality. And I was in the last couple of years of my uh, executive MBA um, uh, that I was doing. And one of the courses was about, you know, exploration of one's purpose and, and um, origins and such. And I sort of unpacked um, a bit of history doing this and doing this octagon report on personality types and, all these different Myers-Briggs and different things. And, and one of the um, things that I uncovered that was it kind of, it didn't, it hadn't really dawned on me that the reason that I'm running a martial arts school is because of the, the common commonalities and the, the, the thing that I was drawn back to, you know, through speaking to people when I was 13 was because my father and I um, enjoyed watching, you know, Hong Kong martial arts films. And that was always a passion of mine from when I was a young kid. And so I felt at the time a little bit like someone had cracked my head open and stirred my brain. And I sort of, in the April of 2018, I really dipped into a depressive episode that I have never experienced before in my life. Um, And I, I am making sure that I never have to experience again. Um, And 
so it, it just became over me as this thing that I couldn't nail down that I was just sad. I was just sad all the time in my chest and I couldn't sleep. Well, I go to sleep. Okay. Uh, wake up, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning. And then my brain would be thinking and not, but not stressing about anything, just thinking about stupid stuff. It could be a commercial or a, a, a song or um, thinking about something that I had to do or, but not, not really focusing on, on negative things, but it was just obviously my subconscious was like, hey, this is much more interesting than being asleep, so let's wake up and have a think about it. Um, and, and I went through and I went to the doctor and I had a doctor that didn't even make eye contact with me while I was talking to him and I went and saw another doctor and, um, and I tried to get into see a psychologist and unfortunately I'm here in the ACT, Australian Capital Territory, Canberra, um, it's very difficult to get into mental health services. There's just an oversupply, over demand and lack of supply. And um, so the doctors started putting me on different things and they tried melatonin to help me sleep and that just made the depression worse. And then they put me on this thing called amitriptyline, which I couldn't stand because I'm a martial arts instructor and I was still working through the whole thing. Uh, and it, amitriptyline gave me this horrible cotton mouth um, and you know, and I couldn't even have a glass of wine at night. And for me, I felt like my life, like I was not enjoying my day and I couldn't have my, my drink um, at, the end of, at the end of the day. And it was disappointing. And then finally I found a doctor. I went to see him and, and, uh, and he decided we, when we put me onto a thing called sertraline, which is a, a specific or a specific serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I might have had that acronym wrong, but, and I took, I started taking that and it was probably, the no the November of that year that I started to really come out of a depression. So from April through to November, I was just had these waves of sadness um, that I just couldn't manage. And I, it was, you know, and I'm uh, uh, look, I've got, you know, multiple degrees. I've got, you know, multiple black belts. I've got different martial arts that I do and, and I have, you know, I'm incredibly driven my own business. And for me, that was, it was such a frustration to be, to be not be able to manage that part of my life and, and unpacking it, I suppose. And we'll, we'll talk further on it. No doubt that I was really looking at what feeling of helplessness that I'd had, I had at that point to get me into that. And then, you know, moving through that. So that was, you know, end of 2018 and then uh, moved through winter of 2019. And I was starting to really feel like I was on top of things and, in the October of last year, I went through the process of weaning off the um, sertraline and, uh, you know, had my 40th birthday and had the, the end of the year it was the best time of my life and all these things, amazing things happened to me. And, and, uh, and I've continued through this year and then COVID hit obviously. And I didn't, it didn't knock me about. It didn't make me sad. I didn't have any struggles. I continued through and it wasn't until if we're lucky here in, in Canberra, we've had only 114 cases and, you know, three deaths and we 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 were able to open up after three months of lockdown. And it wasn't until about sort of six to eight weeks after we opened again and that I'd managed to get the business back to a secure footing, my business back to a secure footing that I sat down and I had, I suppose, all of the cards on the table uh, face side up that I could see everything that I started to recognize signs that I was going back into, into a depressive episode again. And that, that for me, it was, I was, it was very cyclical. It was, 
Sunday night not being able to sleep, Monday severe anxiety throughout the day, Monday night struggling um, again, and then Tuesday being horribly sad. Um, and then Tuesday night teaching a class, having some endorphins from working out, Wednesday starting to get through it, working through getting better onto the weekends and then going through that cycle again. And I was like, I just can't do this again. Went back to my doctor and we, we put me back onto sertraline. And I was about what, six weeks I've been back on it now and I'm feeling that I am capable and I'm not having those anxiety spirals again and, I, and I'm – you know, but it has all these side effects and things that impacts your life. So you have to manage the way you do it. So, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell, basically where I'm at. Um, yeah. And uh, look, and I, as a, I'm the president of the local business group and, and one of the things that I spoke to po- uh, politicians, federal politicians and state politicians during the lockdown about how I suspected a lot of people didn't realize how bad things were until it was ironic that I was saying until we reopen again and we start to get on top of things that I'm really worried about the mental health of people. And then I was actually one of the people that, that I, sh- I should have been worrying about. Um, maybe it was prophetic or, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. I guess with the, with, the, with the lockdown, Tom, you know, I mean, pe- people have t- talked about a kind of tsunami of, you know, of mental health issues coming as a result of it. And I think it is trauma, isn't it? I mean, for all of us, you know, we're all kind of living through it. You know, there's no end, you know, insight to it. But I mean, it is like a collective trauma. You know, and I guess there will be a call mm. for all of us at, at the end of it. I, I wanted to just pick up, if it's okay, on just something mm. you talked about, about the martial arts, you know, because it's really interesting because, I mean, I would normally, you know, if I was kind of working with somebody that, you know, that had depressive symptoms, you know, probably the first thing I would do, you know, if they were able to exercise, I'd really encourage them to exercise. You know, there's, there's a ton of research on the benefits of exercise, mm. you know, and how it improves mood and, and, but but I guess you've always exercised a lot. That's the sense I get with your martial arts. Oh, I, I cut. I think I cut back. I became more efficient, as as I said to someone the other day. Um, I, I I cut back in terms of um, the number of hours that I was teaching. I, I sort of focused on on more of the core classes um, and less on the on the i didn't do enough for myself i think at that point when i look back but yeah it's it's something that i do i do i teach teach what eight hours a week and i'm another five hours i'm actually a participant in classes um i wouldn't call myself a a, 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 you know like a an olympic athlete like i I do have a dad bod um but you know i'm cardiovascularly fit and and things like that and but for me this year in particular i got a dog so i have to go out and walk twice a day um and move but it's important i know what you're talking about in terms of the you know get eight hours of sleep and move your body um but it it didn't seem to make any difference and that's what really that's what the first time really in 2018 that really disturbed me because i would work harder and it just made no difference at all yeah i mean that must have been really difficult for you tom because I guess, mm. you know, that, you know, exercise, brilliant coping strategy. And I guess if, if you're feeling your mood come down, you're thinking, right, I'm just going to up the amount of exercise I'm doing. So I know this is going to make me feel good, make me feel better. But then after doing that and you're not noticing any kind of difference, I mean, that must have been, I don't know, pretty scary for you. Yeah, I, I don't think I made the connection at the time. And as, as they, you know, the, the, uh, the Parle Francais, the je t'aime ma oubliette. It's like I, I love my place of forgetting that the martial arts, arts is the, um, uh, it, uh, it, it was my place when you're on the mats, you can't think about anything else that's happening. Mm. You can't, 
you can't think about anything but the moment of what you're doing. Um, and I study two different martial arts and they're very, you know, and I teach one and it's, you know, when you're teaching, you have to be almost like Sauron from the Lord of the Rings, you all observant and things like that. And I had this sadness in my chest um, that it wouldn't go away. And it, it, that, yeah, it was, it was unsettling and it was disappointing. And people would say things like, you look sad. And I'm like, well, yeah, fuck I am. Excuse me. Swearing. Okay. Um, and, um, <laughs> well. and, um, yeah. And, you know, and people go, oh, you know, and I, you know, I talk about my strategies and a lot of people go say, would say to me, cause I'm an overachiever. Oh, but you're doing so much and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'm like, but it doesn't matter if you're still, you don't know why you feel sad. You just, you just do. You feel like you've got like a rain cloud overhead. If that's like, uh, if you see, agree with that analogy. Um, I felt a little bit like I had a wet blanket on my back. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy. So I definitely know the feeling like, um, I like to do stuff and I like to go and get out and about and, um, because uh, I've moved from London to Melbourne, the difference, like, because the weather's so probably so much better here than it would be in London. I want to get out and go and do stuff. But at the same time, I went through a phase where there was just like, felt like a weight was on my chest and it was like, don't do that. It was almost like a voice in my head saying, don't do that, even though I wanted to do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, picking up on like what you said about obviously living in uh, Australian capital territory and saying that it was really hard to get into mental health stuff um it's quite interesting hearing that because um obviously i live in victoria and it seemed to be like a lot easier because i've originally from london and it was so hard to get into there's a long wait list unless you're like suicidal to get on to mental health services in london and then i moved here and i got in so quickly even going through like the paid route um uh, it's just interesting to see different parts of the country. It's hard to get mental health services. Oh, you can you can get into them, but if you want to pay through the nose, so yeah, like you, you end up would be paying you know hundreds of dollars per session, and and it's 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 a great deterrent, you know. So and then yeah, it's but it's that's that's you know I, I suppose it's the reality of it. But for me, I I look I I went I've seen psychologists when I was younger. Um, you know, I went saw them when my parents separated when I was three and four and five. And then when my father passed away, I saw some more and they sent me to these teen esteem camps and they gave me all these strategies and I read Stephen Covey's highly, you know, seven habits of highly effective people and the whole uh, disassociative behaviors and, and separating um, uh, uh, the, the con- what you can control from the uncontrollable and understanding that you know, the difference between I can't control that and that is uncontrollable for me is disassociating that from yourself. And I understand all these things. And this is the problem when you're, you're high functioning. Uh, I'm a high functioning sort of anxious person. When you, for me, I, I went into, spiraled into depression through anxiety. It wasn't so much that I just felt sad. It was obviously, and looking back and I've unpacked it a lot, that it was something in my life that, that I'd hung on to and I've looked back and, and dealt with those there was a feeling of helplessness and if you if you're anxious enough already and then you have a feeling of of helplessness um it's very hard to get out of that spiral and it just continued um downward and downward and it was you know i was i I continued doing all of my regular things um in a desperate attempt to, to have a sort of a normal life um and medication was the only way that i got out of it that was it like i just didn't matter how much i talked to people it just didn't do anything for me 
Tom, can I ask you what what was your feeling when when you know initially kind of getting prescribed antidepressants? I mean, was, was it was it kind of okay? Was there some bad feeling around it? I mean, what was your feeling initially before taking it? Oh, I went through the five stages of grief for sure. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely that whole, um, uh, yeah, like just disappointment and and anger and 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 more that I didn't want to take it. But I kind of it was my choice. Yeah. So when I went to the doctor and I finally said I need something, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Because because I guess you know. I mean, I guess I see, I mean, it's really, really individual, isn't it? I mean, antidepressants, I think, work mm. for some people, they're not going to work for others, you know. Like you said, you know, they, they do have side effects. But I guess, you know, I guess I see stigma over it. You know, I mean, I think, you know, this is true probably of a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, if they if they hurt their leg, you know, they'll take some painkillers and, you know, and they'll maybe take this and take that. But, for goodness, you know, to take an antidepressant, it's like a whole completely different thing, you know. And I think often with people have a lot of shame attached to it, which for me, I think is, you know, it shouldn't be there, you know, because taking something to, you know, assist your mental health really should be looked at, in my opinion, exactly the same as taking something in order to help your phys- physical health. But at the moment, I think in society, you know, it, it's really, it's not seen that way often by people. Is that a cultural stoicism type, you know, men are supposed to be strong and, you know, is that whole masculinity thing that that causes that? Yeah, I mean, well, certainly for men. Although I don't think it's gender specific. I don't think it's gender specific. You know, but yeah, but I mean, in terms of men, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I think often, you know, men find it really difficult to ask for help. Period. Really, you know, the asking for help I think can be really tough for men. You know, I mean, something that Joe and I have talked a lot about on the podcast. You know, I mean, certainly in like you know, kind of Western culture. You know. Men grow up with messages like, you know, you've got to be strong, man up, you know, don't show your feelings, hit back if someone hurts you, you know. And, and I think growing up with that, with those kind of messages and internalising them, you know, when, when males start to have problems with mental health in later life, it stops them from asking for help because they just feel they're not allowed to do it. Yeah, that's funny. I suppose I, I, I look, you know... Um... That I, I was always the shortest kid in the class. And so I grew up like the whole use your words, don't use, use your words, don't use your physical. Because if I use my physical, I get the snot beaten out of me. So I always, I always, I grew up in a house, I've got three sisters and my mum and, and my stepdad is emotionally retarded, but my mother is incredibly articulate and incredibly affectionate and incredibly um, interactive in terms of talking about feelings and things like that. And I, so I suppose I grew up understanding how to express my feelings and communicate. And, and look, and that's one of the reasons, uh, that I'm lucky. I'm blessed. My wife, we've been, yesterday was our 20th anniversary and, um, you know, like it's, it's always been something that I've always been quite lucky that I've been able to express my feelings. And I think that's a lot of the, the things. That's why I suppose when I went to see a psychologist, it was just like, oh, like I've been through this. My feelings aren't the problem. It's something going on external to me that was really driving my depression. And, and that's, you know, how many of them think that immediately it's something going on within you rather than what is, what's an external pressure? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that's true. I mean, and, and kind of having a, you know, kind of, I don't know, different, different experiences of going to see general practitioners. So the first one you saw 
wouldn't even look at you. And then you had to go, I mean, this is also common, you know, I mean, dare I say it, you know, it's quite common, really. You know, some GPs are better than others when, you know, dealing with mental health. Yeah, look, I, is it, um, the question, I suppose, would, would be, like, cause, because, I, you know, some, it, there's that stigma. So you mentioned the stigma attached to, you know, mental health. And and how do how might we overcome that in society? Do we, we beyond blue? There's organisations here, Black Dog. There's all these different ones that are trying to remove that stigma. Um, but it, it, how much do we, you know? And this is a, a I've had some parents say some really stupid stuff. So I interact with hundreds of people every day, and I had a parent saying to me the other day, "Oh, what's with all these kids on antidepressants? It's disgusting, yada yada yada." And I just turned around and said, "Well, I'm taking antidepressants right now," and and it made her stop and reassess what she was thinking and then she said oh I didn't mean to offend and I said you have your your own opinion if I don't take offense to your opinion and if you take offense to other people's opinions that's that's your own problem but how many people hold these views about how many people hold the views because that's just the way that they're brought up that you know if you're taking medication you're weak rather than if you've got a cold and flu do you take do you take medication because you're weak or do you take medication because you want to make sure you feel good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the points we made in the first episode about men and mental health, um, that it's seen as weak for having a mental illness if you're a bloke or probably in general, but mainly if you're a bloke as well. Mm. Um, and the point that we made as well, me and Mark made that, a lot of it comes from parents as well, mm. where young people have tough dads and the way they've been brought up is the way they bring up their sons to be tough and not show sign of weakness. Mm. Yeah, I suppose maybe yeah, having having two dads for my early life, maybe I've, I've sort of been lucky. I suppose my, I did, my stepdad didn't really try to father me until my father passed away. And then he came down on me like a ton of bricks. And it wasn't until after my mother and my stepfather got married, I got divorced rather, that my mother finally realised that my stepdad was an asshole to me. <laughs> and uh, I got caned, and and uh, um, uh, you know, and 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 he he couldn't handle uh, how verbal I was. He couldn't he couldn't handle that I would debate things. And, and but my father, biological father, was very affectionate affectionate and and always hugs and kisses on the lips and you know all that that stuff that i do with i've got three children i've got a 10 and 12 year old daughter and i've got a five-year-old son and and i'm you know i i'm tough with them but i'm still affectionate and they still you know they still uh, uh, uh lucky for me my, my eldest is going through puberty and, and she's still affectionate towards me even when she has a broody days um <laughs> it's i think it's you know, like yeah, we are we are a product of our, our upbringing as much as those around us. But how much of how much of that do we look at what happened to us and we say I don't want to do that? As a martial artist, the martial arts school that I went to, the instructor was very firm and would hit you with sticks and things like that. And I would never do that with my club. I would never take that tactic um, with my students. And it, sh it reflects in the size of my business. He had a club of thirty to fifty. I have three hundred and fifty members. And it's, you know, how much can we, you know, well, I suppose asking the, the clinical question, how much, how hard is it to, to reflect on your, your upbringing and, and to cherry pick what you take from it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I guess just, yeah. to, just to kind of go back to kind of what you were saying about about your upbringing. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, and I guess it must have been really difficult for you at that time, Tom. I mean, I hope it's okay to say this and only talk mm. about it as much as you'll be happy to. But you know, when I hear you say that, you know, your kind of biological father, you know, really affectionate, but then passing away, you know, which is, is you know, a massive trauma at thirteen, you know, and then at the same time you know, your stepfather really becoming the hard stepfather, you know, and really kind of becoming a disciplinarian and, you know, struggling to connect with you. I mean, for, for you at that time, that must have been a really tough time looking back. And I changed schools and had to create a whole new network of friends. And, uh, and yeah, and, and yeah, looking back, I, I suppose I, I was lucky though, I think, I've always felt that I'm a lucky person because the very, very first day of school, I made friends with a gentleman that literally called me tonight. Uh, it's actually my birthday today. He called me and wished me a happy birthday. Um, we've known each other since the first day of high school um, and we've been the best of friends since then. And he he comes from a Baptist family and he uh, he was very, like he, he made sure, he sort of took care of me a little bit um, and I've always had, um, I suppose I, I was, I suppose it's going back to, I use physical, physical activities as an outlet. So I played rugby and soccer and, and I sailed and, and I had a dog that I ran around with every morning and every night. And I, you know, I, I had activities and stuff. So I, I suppose I didn't have enough time to, to reflect on that. If that makes sense as a teenager, I was too busy be, being a teenager than, than worrying about what, my stepdad thought of me. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember think worrying about what he thought of me. It was only ever dealt with what, what he was saying at the time. I mean, when, when you reflected back to him when you were older, I mean, how, how did you tend to look at that period? Um, more that, that he, that, that I was obviously, <laughs> I was, I, I, looking back, I feel like I was a, a fairly um, independent independent object in the house. So I fed myself, I clothed myself, I cleaned my own clothes, I did everything for myself. I got up and took myself to school every day on the bicycle. Um, I, you know, I got myself around until I could get my driver's license. And I only really had to interact with him late in the evenings and, and on the weekends. And there were, look, sure, there were moments where it was, you know, really pleasant experiences and, and everything like that. But, you know, when you cross the line, he just came down like a ton of bricks. So I, you know, I, I, I haven't spoken to him since my parents got divorced. But the way he divorced her, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> there's a whole other story there. Um, but uh, I look, I look back and I, I sort of see um, him interacting. I, I would say him as being more part time in my life than 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 I was in his. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that does make sense. I mean, you know, there's a lot of resilience, I think, in you from you know from everything you've said. You know, and looking at kind of your coping strategies, you know, I guess when you're doing sport and you're sailing and you're you know you're doing you're playing rugby, you know, I mean, you're not consciously thinking right, I'm going to do this because it's a coping strategy, but I guess you just you know without even thinking, you know, all the things that you love doing, you know, also effectively provided really really helpful coping strategies for a really difficult time. Yeah, I suppose there's nothing like when you're out in the middle of a <clears throat> out in the middle of the broadwater with the the wind at your back and you're sailing on a boat and you're trying to keep it balanced and heading towards a buoy that you can't really think about anything else, can you? And it, it's it's 
I suppose I've, I've used video games for that too, and 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 reading, and I I don't know. Is it are we all? Oh, I don't know. I, maybe as a teenager, I I sort of didn't. Maybe it was a coping mechanism. I didn't want. I didn't waste time thinking about. I, I really didn't waste time thinking about what other people thought until I started dating girls. I think. <laughs> um, just, um, I'll have to wrap up soon because yeah. it's nearly enough. But um, so that's the last one. Last question. Um, what is your like support network like? Do you think? They understand when you explain to them that you're feeling depressed. Do they know what to say or how to make things better? People, I don't think people, my closest friends, I've got like a handful of really, really close friends um, and millions of acquaintances. And I, I sort of, I hear a lot of good on you for, for dealing with it for, from my, from my customers, I suppose. But from my really close friends, it, it's more that they're, I suppose it's the way that I've I've lived with them for the last you know thirty years more that um, that they all appreciate me for who I am and so they say things like you know I'm proud of you for doing what you need to do um, I don't really keep people that are negative in my life I suppose like I, I've not um, you know like I I don't like I you know that yeah I just I just don't anybody who's really negative in my life I just sort of I don't let them in and I sort of keep them at arm's length and, and, um, and, and that's borne out through the community that I've developed at my martial arts clubs. Everybody's really focused on what you can do, what you can do. And, you know, you know, be open-minded, compassionate, share your experiences. I've been able to develop that community around me. So I suppose, yeah, I've, I've maybe I've, I've framed my life so I don't have to deal with those people. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Well, maybe two last things. I, mean, I guess something that you've mentioned a few times, I know we haven't got time to really go into it now, is kind of, I don't know, present moment awareness. You know, so when, when the mind's kind of, you know, ruminating, if we're sitting at home, you know, when we go out and we're kind of sailing or, or whatever, we can be doing anything and we just click into that present moment focus. You know, it's a really good coping strategy, I think, for the mind being busy. And, and kind of ruminating and also the, the last mm. thing I wanted to say you know something that you wrote in your kind of bio which I thought was great when you said um, I think we all need to talk about mental health more so that even if we can help one person speak up and get the help that and get the help that they need to get through it and I think it's yeah. fantastic that you you know you are talking openly about your mental health and it's going to help a lot of people right so I think it's great so thank you thank you uh Thank you for joining us, uh, Tom. I just say thank you again for Mark for helping host. Um, um, yeah, we'll send you all like links and stuff when this is done. If you have any links you'd like to share with us, we'll post them on our website and our social media. Oh, just the um, link to my website off my email. I mean, I appreciate it, and I think it's I think it's really important that we get the message out there that um, that people should feel comfortable to talk about it positively, not that. I'm depressed and I can't do anything about it. It's like, I'm, you know, what are you doing? Like help people make those next steps. I think if, if there's somehow we can frame that, I think that would help people more. Definitely. Um, and as it shows from the podcast and like the previous episode, we've done depression, the video podcast, it can happen to anyone, even if you've got oh, yeah. everything going. Um, and it is real. I'm just going to say thank you again to 
you should it's a Tom for telling his story I know sometimes it takes a lot to tell everyone to tell people your story I know personally um, and so thank you for everyone for listening thank Thanks. you